You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom I'm Avram Kivilevich. This is On Principle. And I'm here with Rabbi Uri Tavolosky, who is the rabbi of Kivas Pardes in Rockville, Maryland, which is a uh, affordable suburb in Montgomery County, affordable suburb of Washington and Montgomery County. And we know, uh, Rabbi Uri, thank you for being here with us. I've, okay, full disclosure, uh, because I think it's going to bleed in anyway. Um, Rabbi Uri, uh, or as Rabbi Uri, as he is affectionately known, is the brother of my son-in-law. So uh, we share quite a bond, uh, Rabbi Uri. And uh, as you know, the first rule of all podcast hosts is tap your friends and family first. And uh, so thanks a lot. Uh, it, it's great to see you. Uh, and we should share a lot of simplicity together. But what I want to do is get into your brain today and get into what, into your work and to your heart and soul. So uh, uh, let me give you the intro, and you'll take it from there. Um, uh, Ravuri is, as I said, the rabbi of Kivas Pardes, which is an unusual type of community in the sense that, the way I understand it, the the shul and the congregants and the village that is sort of arising in that section is an offshoot of the Melvin J. Berman Hebrew Academy, which has a vested interest, of course, uh, as an educational institution to create a type of community, a polis around their school, which I think the school is, is, is quite close there. Ravuri, of course, is a teacher and has been a teacher in many venues there. I think he's also a former student there, if I'm not mistaken, at one point. Um, and as you know, Ravuri, we've had a lot of uh, people on our program. We've had heads of Talmud departments. We've had uh, teachers uh, in law schools. We've had school psychologists. We've had outreach. We've had all uh, principals that are the head of the secular studies but besides being a teacher, you are actually an educationist. Education, education is the wrong word. You're an educator for a community. You're in, you're you're more than just. You're not the rabbi, but you're not more than the rabbi. You're not just they hired a rabbi for there. You're intimately connected with the educational motif of what the school is about and. You're our first educator of, not just an adult educator, but a, a, a community former and a community educator. And you and I'm going to, as I know, I think your wife couldn't be with us uh, here because she's busy uh, doing attending to other duties, are also is also part of this educational team that is there to, to, to give over something very unique and special. So Ravori, I know this is something that's very dear to your heart. And I know it's natural for you. You don't have the guitar with you, but I'm already hearing the beautiful chords. So go ahead. <laughs> well, Shalom Arav. Thank you so much. It's good to be with Mishpacha and uh, thinking and learning and unpacking together. Um, it's an honor. And I'm sorry that my holy wife, Dahlia, is not 
with me on this call right now. Um, but uh, she and I are a team and work together um, in, in all that we do. She's a psychologist in private practice and uh, the mother of our four beautiful children um, who are in uh, ranging uh, all the way up through high school right now. Um, but we moved here to Aspen Hill, a neighborhood of Rockville, Maryland, about seven years ago um, at the invitation of the school and uh, a small community to try to build a kihila on mission with the school as part of an initiative. Um, it was actually one of the core five strategic initiatives of the Berman Hebrew Academy to build a strong, vibrant uh, modern Orthodox synagogue out of the school, grow the neighborhood, and root the school in a community. And, and I want to share with you a little bit about what that vision means. I mean, obviously, there's an enrollment piece, right? Jewish education today, we're always thinking about numbers and enrollment and and how we can keep our schools uh, uh, moving in that direction. And so obviously, um, the school is invested in building a community around it. The Berman Hebrew Academy, in some ways, is a commuter school. Um, a, a large chunk of the student body comes from Silver Spring, which is about seven miles away, um, and Potomac, which is about the same in a different direction, as well as uh, parts of D.C. and in some other areas. Um, and the school purchased a building almost in the center, but the neighborhood that the school is in, known as Aspen Hill, um, did not have an Orthodox community um, and uh, did not have uh, a lot of the resources that it has. However, it is in Rockville, and Rockville is the center, really, of the county, Montgomery County. It's the seat of the government. It's the seat of the businesses a lot of the big box stores and uh, shopping and places that people, people flow through Rockville. Um, so it's a centrally located place. But when the school moved here, they did not have a community that they were in. So number one, want to build a community that gives you natural enrollment numbers as other competing schools rise, as other challenges financially rise. It's great to have a neighborhood that is filled with Jewish children that are interested in modern Orthodox Jewish day school. Um, of course, they're also looking to build a community that's on mission with the school, uh, hashkafically aligned. And uh, so the idea was to build, uh, to seed and grow a community that is in partnership with the school and working in concert with the school. And the third piece, uh, the final piece that I'll just mention on this point is that there is a vision which still uh, has work to come to its fullest fruition, that there is an, um, an amazing educational value in placing a school within a community, embedding a school family in a shul family, embedding a school inside of a community. And it, it goes both ways. Uh, number one, you know, you're, first of all, the community benefits, you walk to school, this is your, your home base, it's a hub, it, um, it, there's so much Torah, the teaching, the teachers, the resources that are there available to the community, um, but also the school benefits, um, the idea that students come to a building all day long and they hang out with kids and their teachers, but they also see someone come in the morning 
and, and davening and saying Kaddish for a yard site or for someone they lost or a baby naming it Shacharit or maybe there's a bris or maybe there's uh, the students are sitting in on, on a variety of different shul activities or functions. Um, and so there's this interesting overlap that I think is mutually beneficial in, in lots of ways, some of which would surprise us and we wouldn't even expect. Um, but, uh, you know, go, go a long way in terms of the health of a school um, and, uh, and the health of a community. So that's what we call the Aspen Hill Initiative. And we're always recruiting. You know, we have, um, uh, when, when we moved here, a very small number of families had, had started and had a, a minion. We now have about 70 families, about 100 children in, uh, in Aspen Hill, uh, within a mile, mile and a half of the shul. Um, and it's a growing, thriving community. And we're always looking for folks who would like to join us and be a part of it. You know, nearby, Silver Spring is a very large Jewish community. Um, hundreds of families, shuls have hundreds of families each. And these are thriving, beautiful communities. In Rockville, where we are in Aspen Hill, we're just a hop, skip, and a jump from all of these other neighborhoods. Uh, there's actually uh, half the kosher options are in Rockville, not in Silver Spring. Um, the infrastructure is all there. We have our own mikvah. There's our own Eruv. Um, and so there's a lot of resources available to the community. Um, the housing is more affordable in our neighborhood than the other Jewish neighborhoods. Um, and so that's a big boon. But the biggest piece, my elevator pitch to families when I tell them, hey, come be a part of a growing community, is that uh, in many communities, you can get swallowed up. Um, you have everything you need, but maybe you don't have a way to contribute yourself. Um, but in a smaller community, your presence matters. You make a difference. You make a difference in shaping the culture of the shul. You make a difference in shaping the culture of the school because it's in your own backyard. Um, you make a difference in, in so many ways. Um, and it's one of the big pluses of, of our kihila. Well, as someone who grew up in a small community and someone who was a teacher in uh, somewhat of a small community in Houston, so I hear where you're coming from. However, just to, <laughs> once the community, of course, reaches the size that you want, that pitch is going to have to change, right? Um, you know, again, right now, it's, we're, we're small enough, but as you get larger and you become, you know, more like uh, the Teaneck of Maryland or whatever it is that you're looking to become like, or the Riverdale, Maryland, whatever uh, template you're looking at, so that's going to dissipate somewhat uh, the, the types of contributions that each person will have. And, and, and would you say that there's a vetting process? Like uh, when I was in, uh, as a rabbi in a small show in Houston, um, there was the um, there was the EWB uh, concept, which was every warm body, right? In other words, just make sure that the person, uh, yeah, can we count him for the minion? Is he showing up? Who's who's our numbers? Uh, is there like a uh, is there a coda that one needs to be able to pass in order to be accepted in the Kehilas uh, Pardes? Well, Rebbe, we're always looking for redheads. But other than that, um, no, you know, what we're trying to do and, and your question about will the pitch change, um, of course it changes, but the, the Torah, the messaging um, is what we really focus on. What makes our community unique is not just numbers. What makes our community unique is not just 
um, our proximity to school. What makes our community unique is some of the key spiritual messaging that we are trying to get across. So, for example, um, Kilat Pardes, the name wasn't chosen randomly. Um, we're nestled in a beautiful area. Um, there's these aspen trees around us. Uh, aspen trees actually have an interesting, um, uh, unique feature in that their roots uh, share, a, 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 they have a shared root system. Um, and so there's this concept of a caring community that is embedded in our name that we believe um, in, the, in, the, in the neighborhood of Aspen Hill, that there's, there's something about what does it mean to build a community? Community is not just a minion um, of warm bodies. A community is about building a caring community. And I know every community would pride itself on being warm and welcoming. Um, but uh, this is part of our culture. We like to say that we have a culture of welcoming and a culture of, of caring. Um, and so that's critical to us. And Pardes also, you know, the word itself uh, evokes lots of things for people who, who uh, learn. And the idea that Pardes means, uh, you know, has this notion of the acronym of Pshat, Ramadrash, and Sod, and, and the recognition that we go deep, um, that we're looking uh, to always be critical thinkers, to be deeper thinkers. And of course, Pardes, of, of Rabbi Kiva's Pardes is, is also entering something deep, um, something spiritual. My wife and I bring a very strong spiritual natiya to all of our programming, to all of our learning, to all of our tefillah, um, whether that's a guitar when we can, or with our voices, or uh, with other kinds of uh, chasidut or spirituality or whatever it might be that brings in a, a sensitivity and a warmth and a depth to the Torah. That's also part of our, of our culture and our pitch. And the third piece is... I like to talk about the idea of a culture of change. You know, when we build community, and, uh, and I, I talk about this with my students in the school also, we value a culture of change. We want people to understand and to recognize that change is healthy, that change is good. Uh, we believe that this is a, a core spiritual message in the Torah. You can take the simplest examples of Lech Lecha, of Hashem telling Avram that he needs to change uh, to much more complex uh, stories and ideas that underscore the, the fact that change is healthy. And so in our community, as every family comes to the community, we always tell them, we are a community that embraces change. So when you come here and you see something that, hey, oh, this is how they do it around here, that's not true. We're a seven-year-old community in our current form. You know, we value change and we want people to bring their ideas, their Torah, their messages, their thoughts, their inspirations, their passions, and shift the culture of the community in healthy ways. Um, and, uh, and so that's a key piece of our pitch that I don't think necessarily changes and uh, makes us a little bit unique in some ways as we have built a community on mission. This is an intentional community from the start um, and we're very proud of that uh, it's a, definitely a well-articulated mission statement and i can imagine that you know it does sound uh, beautiful but as i say we are about the challenges this program is about the challenges of jewish education and we all know that uh, a cacophony of voices is a difficult thing to manage in a classroom and it's also a difficult thing to manage uh when you're dealing with uh, a, a a group of balabatim, as we would say, and people have 
different ways and different perspectives. Uh, our history shows us that e even great Rabbonim like the Malbim or the Bach or some Sefer, they all dealt with uh, storms that, that, that erupted. And I know that you are a very compassionate uh, captain of this ship, but clearly, you know, you, know, you, you have to, in a, in a way, be the steerer and the guider, but as you say, also the listener and allowing those uh, ideas to maybe change yourself as well, right? As if you're mm. talking about, you know, if, 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 it's not about the Tabalowski's team or the Melvin J. Berman team changing the people that are, are there. It's not a Kirov community the way you're explaining it. It's more the fact, you know, there's a dynamism of, of being a human being and a thinking, searching human being. And that, we're not sure where it's going to go, but we, we hope that it's being channeled with the, with the correct parameters that it's going to go to someplace spiritual and beautiful. Would you say that's another way of, uh, of, of explaining your, what you're after, or have I overstated it? No, for sure. Listen, you know, the school and our shul and our community and our world is currently going through enormous change. I mean, the amount of uncertainty we're all embracing and dealing with is overwhelming at times. And um, and it feels like uh, we don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. We don't even know if schools are opening in the ways that we anticipate. Um, but actually, we've also discovered something really extraordinary, which is, I think, surprising to people that we are remarkably good at change. We're really good at it. We've, we can figure out how to adapt. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. Everyone's really struggling in different kinds of ways. But boy, have we figured out how to use technology and how to uh, find the Torah that speaks and how to find the halachic creativity to deal with complicated situations. And that, it's extraordinary uh, what we've seen. I saw a beautiful uh, blog piece in Times of Israel this week that just brings up a lot for me, but um, where um, uh, the authors were, uh, were noting how, how amazing um, the leadership, the halachic leadership of our Torah giants have been dealing with some of the minion questions and the ritual questions of this time and coming up with extraordinary um, ways of considering these issues. And they asked, I mean, the point of the article was, what about for the Agunot, right? Like we, we've done so much work um, right now to deal with this change. Can we not embrace other issues that are in desperate need of change also? This is a very powerful uh, piece. But, um, you know, in lots of ways, this is something that education right now is, uh, is grappling with. Um, communities are grappling with, our world's grappling with. And I, I've, I've been heartened by the capacity for us to embrace change and, um, and come up with creative uh, solutions. Just to answer, you know, as, as being you know, sort of a card-carrying member of that rabbinic world and working as a dine and other things, I think we all realize that <clears throat> COVID is, is in many ways about juggling and about putting things, what's on the front burner, what things, you know, we don't go to the dentist uh, because we can deal with that cavity for a while because of the fear of exposure. In the same way, in a halachic format, when it had to do with the Seder, when it had to do with how Lormid Torah is going to happen, how the Minyanim are going to happen, when it has to do with burying the dead, 
handling with people that are ill, how do we take care of people? So there, you're right, the halachic minds uh, were galvanized. And, and I, I do believe, however, that it, 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 it is a good portent for issues of agunot and other things like that. I think the fact that we have seen the galvanization, the way the crystallization and the, uh, I would say, uh, the lack of partisanship in terms of the Gedolim's voices that we've been listening to, where you have even the most modern community is listening to Rav Asher Weiss, who is a, 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 a staunch Chassid and Talmud of the Kloisenberger Rebbe, or uh, you have people in the uh, in the Yeshiva Shabbat realizing that Rav Herschel Schechter uh, indeed uh, speaks halachic uh, truths and is able to put them in a concise, important manner. So I think we, in many ways, I do see it as a watershed moment, and I, I, I'm hopeful that that type of change, which I would actually, if you don't mind, I would call it growth. I know change sounds a lot like you know the Obama election campaign uh, and other <laughs> election campaigns, and you're, I would say it's about growth. It isn't so much changing; it's about living. A change is about is about becoming. It's about establishing what Torah Shabbat really means, which is that it lives within us, which I guess gets us back here to, you mentioned before about Sidus, and I know that uh, having spent time in your guest room in various places, and I know what books line your shelf, and we've had some late night conversations about these things, Ravuri. So uh, you know, talk a little bit about, we all know that uh, there's watered down versions of, of, of mysticism and, and Sidus, how is it that chassidus uh, or a Kabbalistic perspective of education has, has somehow touched your community? And how do you use it? You and Dali use it. You, you mentioned it before, but I'm fascinated about sure. how, how it comes up. Sure. Um, so, you know, one thing that's been on my mind uh, recently as we're in Sefer Dvarim and thinking so much about the leadership of Moshe um, his prophetic leadership and the, the types of, of moves he makes in, in Sefer Dvarim um, is the issue of prophecy in general and, and uh, what it means to be a Navi. There's a beautiful teaching of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. The Ishbitzer, in some ways, uh, it feels like it's moving, uh, offering a different narrative than the Rambam. Um, you know, the Rambam, we know, we have this idea in the Rambam that Moshe was different than all of the other prophets. And the Rambam lays out, you know, a whole paragraph about what made Moshe different than all the other Nevi'im. You know, whether he was awake or they were asleep, whether they were in a trance, whether he was able to communicate when he could do it and they had to wait and he could do it at will. And all of the different ways that Moshe's knew, it was clear versus metaphor. Just very, very powerful idea of the Rambam. But the Ishbitzer Rebbe says something that touches me in, in a deep, deep place and is something that I bring into my own uh, teaching in my Kilav, but also for my students um, as I teach in the school as well. And the Ishbitzer says, what made Moshe unique as a Navi, and this is, I think, at the beginning of his commentary on Parsha Matot, um, as he's talking about the concept of neder, is that Moshe understood that the nevuah that he got today might be different tomorrow. As opposed to most nevi'im, 
the nevuah doesn't come. It's not free flowing all the time, right? You get, they, they got an inspiration. They got an insight. And it's so powerful. It's so amazing. It's overwhelming for the Navi that like you run with it. This is it. Hashem has spoken to me. I've, I've got it now. I understand the image has come to me. It makes sense. And like, this is the decree. We're going to change society based on that. And they, 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 it was more difficult, says the Ishbitz, for other Navim to recognize that, wait a minute, before you change everything, in two hours, Hashem might give you a totally different Ratzon. Like, it might all just totally shift. Whereas Moshe understood that, the, that, that prophecy was dynamic. That in, in one moment, it would be one piece, but that humanity and our actions and our mitzvot and our maset, we were capable of shifting the conversation such that the, that the nevuah could be different two hours from now. Um, and that he allowed himself to be constantly open and aware of the fact that the messaging might change from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's a very beautiful idea in what made Moshe different as a Navi. And, you know, Lahavdil, Elif of Dallas, no, no comparison to, to Moshe, but when we think about ourselves as teachers and we think about ourselves as students, the recognition that teaching is changing now, that learning is changing now, that um, when you sit in a classroom with people and you have your whole, you have your whole chap laid out, what you're about to teach for the day, you've got your whole mahalich and everything all of a sudden could shift because someone in your room says something so profound and insightful or opens up and shares in a deep and sometimes painful or beautiful or revealing way and the whole tone shifts the capacity as a teacher and the capacity as a student to be open to those shifts is so, so critical in education and learning and growth and what it means to be a healthy community. So that's just one little Torah that's uh, sticking with me right now. So, and, and therefore I would say, you know, just to, to, to spell it out, to, to butter the bread. So you would say that this is sort of the educational Avira that you believe you're trying to foster and you believe that in that way the I would say your congregants and your students do not see you as Moses the lawgiver who is uh, in the Charlton Heston or later in the uh, made for TV Burt Lancaster role uh, giving down the thunderbolts but in other words really learning together and sharing together um, and, and I think what I would just push back a minute on that is, you're right, you, you might be able to get a beautiful, brilliant, emotional, and, or intellectual response from your students, from, your, from, from the other members of the community, which puts you in a different perspective. But what's dependent here is a little bit of, of, of gut knowledge, a little bit of, of Jewish literacy, uh, that Baruch Hashem, the East Coast has, um, whether it's a day school education, whether it's uh, having spent time in Boston, whatever it is, the people that are uh, around gravitating in the Northeast, especially in the megapolis, stretching from Washington to up to Boston, there's an implied understanding that they, that they know a lot. Uh, and, and, and therefore, what they bring to the table is exciting. 
You've also been, of course, and I think this is where uh, many people found out about Rahuri, uh, when you put the flood boots on and waded into the uh, morass that New Orleans had become. And you were sent uh, to become the rabbi of, uh, of, the, of an Orthodox shul in New Orleans, um, famously uh, holding that safer Torah. And uh, we all were proud of you when we saw that. And of course, I uh, was able to witness uh, what you did in New Orleans. And I also know that uh, it's a much different dynamic. New Orleans, I'm sure, whether it's going to be rebuilt the way it was or, or, or not, by Beteva, as we say, it was a different story there. Um, the beautiful Balabatim and people who supported you, I don't know if they could have engaged you in the same way of what you're doing here. Um, do you want to just talk a little bit about the difference between uh, a, a New Orleans experience and what, what's happening now in, in terms of uh, the educational the educational element of that? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for bringing up beautiful memories. Right now, I'm wishing I had a holy beignet in my hands, these <laughs> awesome fried donuts um, of New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans is a special place in our hearts. We spent six years there post-Katrina. Um, you know, it's a community that uh, is unique um, and also so special to the fabric of the larger Jewish community. I often... I often go back to the rabbinical school and I tell the students, listen, you're in New York. It's, it's awesome. You're surrounded by so much Torah, so, so much culture, so much uh, of our Jewish community. And the, the, what, what's at your fingertips and opportunities are amazing. But you got to get out of town. You got to see the small communities in America. You have to see some of the smaller Jewish places that, that without their voices, and, and I'm just talking about America, let alone the whole the whole world, without the communities around the world contributing um, their Torah, their ideas, their culture, their values, we are, are much more bereft. Um, and, and that's one small reason why so what an honor was to be a part of a community rebuilding itself and reasserting itself and recontributing its unique spiritual ideas and messages um, to the Jewish world and, of course, to the larger American landscape. Um, you know, we went down after Katrina to a community that had been shattered. Uh, many, many, many families had moved away. Many, many families had lost their homes. Um, the shul took 10 feet of water. We lost seven Sifrei Torah. 3,000 Sidurim and Chumashim and Sfarim were buried. Um, in our shul cemetery, I tell people that if you want to see something really meaningful that relates to Katrina and the Jewish community, go to our cemetery. There are two very powerful markers there. One to the seven buried Torahs and one to all the Sfarim. And uh, just so proud of the community for honoring um, those Sifrei Kodesh in that way. Um, and the Torahs are buried alongside the longtime Gabbai of the shul, who was, uh, who passed away during the storm, really the only fatality in the community during that time, um, which had a big impact on the community. And, you know, it took months for the community to, to find them their own footing, let alone to, to figure out what they're going to do with the shul. Um, 
but um, they did choose to come back and to rebuild and to bring a rabbi and a family and to make make it work. And uh, and today it's a thriving, healthy community. Um, um, it's on better footing than it's been in many, many, many years. Um, and uh, it just it was an extraordinary time for us to be a part of a place that had the ability, the gift, to rethink who it wants to be. Most of us are on autopilot. Most of our communities are on autopilot. We're, we're, we're moving along a path that's been preset and we inherit it. Um, we have these huge brick and mortar buildings that we're paying enormous amounts of funds for. Um, we are, are going about the way things have always been done. New Orleans got a reset button and nobody wanted that reset button. And there were tremendous tragedies that came with that reset button. But the silver lining was, okay, can we do it different now? And in some ways, New Orleans, I think, failed as a community, as a city. They didn't always get it right. But in other ways, they did a beautiful job. And it was so beautiful to see the community, not just the shul. I mean, you're part of a, a, an entire Jewish community and a city rethinking, re-strategizing, reimagining what it wants to be. Um, and our shul got to be a part of that and to rebuild. Um, and I'm enormously proud of of the work that went into that and the kinds of thinking. Um, and I think that shaped a lot of the way I think about um, how we build community. You know, it's a, a, a little simple teaching of Malki Tzedek when he gives Avraham a gift in the Torah. Malki Tzedek uh, thanking him for the work with uh, the battles and he, he gives him Lechem and Yayin. And uh, there's a teaching that says, why, why is the Torah mentioned specifically lechem and yayin, bread and wine, as the gift of Malki Tzedek Dada? And one idea that I heard once, which always stays with me, is you know, they say wine is better when it's seasoned and bread is always better when it's fresh. And uh, Malki Tzedek handing Avram this is like handing someone the reminder that that which is seasoned, tried and true and tested and tradition and is so vital. Do not let that go. It is the backbone. It is the core of what we do. Um, but uh, you, also, you also need a little fresh bread too. You need neat new thinking. You need to be able to embrace some new ideas um, and, uh, and be guided by the bread, uh, by the wine, by the seasoned uh, teachings. Um, but uh, if you can hold the two together effectively, um, I think you have the capacity to do some great things. And uh, New Orleans was was one small piece of that. Um, when we when we rebuilt the shul, we had a little contest: what pasuk should we put above the arum? And uh, you know, it was funny. We got lots of ideas and suggestions um, of what should be written there. And I and I said to the community. Be intentional. You could choose Dalif or Shiviti Hashem the We could choose these things. But let's be intentional. We are starting from scratch now. We're resetting. What if we're gonna put one Pasuk in the Torah or one message from Chazal on, on our walls in the shul? That's it. There's no other writing, there's no pictures. So what's your message gonna be? And uh, in the end we chose a beautiful Pasuk from Shira Shirim. 
and we uh, put it in translation in the lobby, mighty waters cannot extinguish our love. Um, and I think fundamentally, this is a uh, part of what uh, drove that community, tremendous love and a commitment to their Jewish identity um, and a recognition that life throws us curveballs, um, whether it's a pandemic or a flood or whatever else. Um, but like Noah says, Rashi, you have to, you build a plow and you start and you, and you, you with, with passion and with love, you start again, you do, do, do amazing things. Oh, oh Ravori, you've definitely inspired me and, uh, just the, you, you've illustrated that people who are worried about, uh, the resiliency of the world and they can look at New Orleans as a microcosm of what it means to um, reel and change and grow from disaster and put things towards a more positive direction. I would say that uh, I think the Pusik is great that, that you chose uh, and, and hopefully it's going to be an inspiration for generations to come. Maybe your, your Pusik in Aspen Hill can be something like a similar idea, which I would say is rooted in in Azyoshir, another uh, another Shira. Ze'eli v'anveyu, Elohei ovi vara nemenu. So, on one hand, what you want to do is say Ze'eli, the people who are standing there at Yamsu, they were the ones who has experienced it. They were the ones who were able to point to God and say, I have ways to beautify, to show my love of God, to do mitzvot that are, that are in tune with my experience, like the, the Klal Yisro who had gone through the miracles of Mitzrayim. But they said right away, Elohei ovi that as Rashi says, lo ani tchivas ha-kedusha, ha-kedusha. That it's built on the Mesorah. It's built on Elohei Ovi. It's built on knowing that past, knowing that history, knowing what the Esodos are. And that's, as you say, the balance. To be able to have the force, that Shiv Chalayam, to say Ze'eli, something Avram Avinu wouldn't have been able to say because he didn't see those type of, and live through those type of miracles, but and hopefully that can be a, 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 a motif as we move on and, mm. and, and, and realize that that Kedusha still is vibrant and active and you've given us a lot of insight as to perhaps what we can model, a, a modeling behavior towards strong invested communities who have educators and learners together. That's it, my friends, for uh, On Principle this week. Thank you, Rav Uri. And we hope Thank you to only share many, many. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.